This is an alternative universe. See, there aren't any textbooks that teach about these principles. It's dangerous if the government gets in the business of propaganda. We need journalistic integrity now more than ever. Warning, you're listening to the Agenda 31 podcast with Corey Ibe and Todd McGreevy. The thing, remember, names are for things. That is why the United States respects the sovereignty of the British people and their right of self-determination. For good reasons, we don't want the government to be the lead on that. Due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the hosts of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Do you have a license for this? Uh, motivation. What's, uh, what, what, what is my motivation? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with slavery, just so we're clear. As a U.S. citizen, you, you just don't own anything. You're just a, a user, and the government owns everything. And the assumption is everybody's a U.S. citizen. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. In the morning, everybody, welcome to Agenda 31. This is Todd McGreevy, your co-host, and I'm being joined by Corey Ibe. Corey, waving a hand at you over there on the left coast there. Hey, hey. It, today is February 19th, Saturday, 2023, and uh, this is episode number 137, and we also have another guest, a special guest, uh, Tim from Illinois is with us as well. Greetings, Tim. Greetings. Thanks for joining Welcome, us. Welcome, Tim. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Tim's going to help us deconstruct a, uh, a Supreme Court case uh, that we've talked about on back channels with Corey, uh, the McDonald uh, v. U.S. Uh, case. Is it V or V? What was Who's it V? City of Chicago. City of Chicago. That's right. Yeah, that's the the Second Amendment case that where Clarence Thomas has an opinion that we think think helps inform uh, Agenda Thirty One. And Agenda Thirty One, of course, is your lowest risk, highest reward podcast in the universe. And the reason we say that is because of our mission statement. And you know, our goal here is by two thousand thirty one. There are Article 4 state citizens in all 3,100 counties across the several states that have achieved the standing enforcing the U.S. Constitution's comedy clause found in Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1, sometimes referred to as 421, and associated guarantees such as the section, Article 4, Section 4, guaranteed Republican form of government in each state. That is our mission. By 2031, there's 3,100 counties approximately in America. And we're hoping to have state citizens in all 3,100 3, counties by 2031. So on the screen, uh, we're we are doing this uh, via Zoom as well. This is our second time recording a video. Uh, we're, we've not done video before. We're experimenting with it. This is a cartoon that's been published in a newspaper uh, that we publish here in the Quad Cities called the River Cities Reader. The cartoon is t entitled Uncle Scam. I want you ignorant, subservient, and under total control is the uh, headline. It's the old uh, famous poster for the war um, efforts with Uncle Sam. And America has become known that I can't, I can, I, as an, the icon for America is Uncle Sam out there. When people see the the, the hat with the stripes and the, the bearded man, they think of Uncle Sam, they think of America. Well, this is Uncle Scam. And he has a cigar in his mouth with the U.S. Constitution on it, and he's burning the Constitution. And he's covered like a NASCAR driver with 
DARPA, Pfizer, CDC, FBI, you know, Homeland Security, FDA, FEMA. And uh, we think it's a good cartoon that illustrates the scam that's going on across America. And before we get into this uh, case real quick, uh, guys, I have two clips I want to play that I think will also help inform for new listeners to to uh, Agenda 31. One of them is, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of No Agenda. The No Agenda stream played our last episode last Sunday. We really appreciate that. Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak and Sir Bemrose for putting us out there again. We used to be on the stream live. Uh, we took a hiatus for five years. We're back at it, trying to uh, uh, do some uh, podcasts of substance. And we're only really coming to the table when we have something new. And Corey did get a uh, a letter from the DMV, for, if you listened to last episode. And we said we'd come back when he had some new information. So we're going to go over that. But I do have this uh, clip that I want to play that is uh, um, uh, from the No Agenda uh, show, actually. And it's and you met John C. Dvorak, Corey, at a meetup out in California. I did, yeah. 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 In fact, there's one of our episodes has you and John on the cover of of, of the, uh, the the Agenda 31 show. Yes. And he, I think he yes, gave that's you a challenge correct. point or something like that, you know, or did you give him one? Yeah, I gave, uh, he, he, uh, they gave me a couple of challenge coins. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure I brought a couple out to you because they gave yeah. yep. one for each. I, I don't think one. I kept yeah. yours. Yeah, I have yep. it. Absolutely. Um, so this, that, was, that this. was really interesting. People that were there, there was a cop there that, yeah. uh, yeah, ended up shining his flashlight at me and stuff like that. He brought some of his other cop friends there. He got so triggered when I told him that the Constitution of 1879 is valid, but it didn't replace the 1849 Constitution. And it was like he blew a tube, man. Wow. <laughs> that happened yeah, at the No Agenda meetup? At the No Agenda meetup. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. So this is a clip there where they talk about NGOs and John brings up specifically the DMV in California. That's why I'm playing this clip. So bear with me. That, that's how it goes. You mentioned NGOs, and I just want to play, just as an aside, I want to play this clip because okay. I wanted this has got me completely baffled. NGO licenses. The White House has a new plan to make it easier for humanitarian aid to continue flowing around the world. The U.S. announced the release of new general licenses yesterday. The licenses basically allow groups to avoid U.S. sanctions. Officials say they will make it easier for humanitarian assistance to go out in countries like Afghanistan and Somalia. The licenses go to groups doing a broad range of work, including disaster relief and health services. The Treasury Department also lists groups supporting, quote, democracy, education, ah, environmental funny. protection, and peace building. The licenses can also exempt certain trade items from sanctions like food, medicine, and medical devices. And they can cover official business of the U.S. government, the U.N., the International Red Cross, and similar organizations. A Treasury official said that targeted sanctions, quote, remain an essential foreign policy tool. Now, who's handing out these licenses? The U.S.? Yeah, that's what I said, too. What? This is, okay, so the NGOs are just GOs now. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say I'm a non-governmental organization, which means I get money from the government, but it's, I kind of do my own thing. And now it's like, what, well, I'm licensed. Well, if you're licensed, then you're part of the government. Someone's government. Well, that, I don't think that's necessarily just because I have a driver's license doesn't mean I work for the state of California. Uh, okay. Uh, apples to oranges. But go ahead. 
Well, they, I like to know what the deal is. I never heard of anything like this. Pay Nobody's to, reporting on it. How about pay to play? You, hey, you want to you wanna be an NGO? Ah, you've got to have a license. That would be the ultimate government scam. Scam, Uncle Scam. I love it. But what about how Dvorak talked about that, Corey? Isn't there a code? Oh, Isn't my goodness. <clears throat> I mean, was that right well, on target or what? That's right on target. I mean, it it wouldn't... When you get a driver's license... Okay, so maybe he's not an employee of the DMV, so I'll I'll give him that. But the Supreme Court has straight up said, okay, he's protected. They can't boil him in oil, but they can do anything they want with him when you have a driver's license. So I I know I know John kind of uh, is maybe slightly resistant to the concept of there being two classes of citizen in California. I don't think he's been fully exposed to that or looked right. it up in the law or anything. So it does sound weird to anybody who's been alive. Like imagine, you know, John's a very intelligent man, uh, educated, really smart. And his entire life, no one's ever talked about there being two classes of citizen. And all of a sudden this would challenge everything, you know, at home, like, you know, a driver's license. That's a, right. an interesting concept, how many people defend the driver's license. It is. And so I thought that was worth uh, repeating. And then I've got one other clip. Bear with me here. We're going to jump into the deconstruction. I, I want to play that. Uh, so there is a um, there was an event called the. Um, the oh, shoot. Hold on a second, guys. I apologize. Just bear with me. Where is it? Uh, Mel Kay. Anybody heard of Mel Kay? It's a woman. She is a uh, uh, author, podcaster, patriot freedom fighter and there was the great reawaken america tour that was held in nashville at the end of january and she gave this rousing speech it was excellent it was all about the new world order and she she brought up rockefeller's uh, biography from 1994 where he just laid out in print that you know hey we've the, the major media outlets have completely kept our um secrets uh, and safe so we can have a new uh, one world government and so forth so she's nailing stuff but just listen to the, what she says here and and we're going to riff on this real quick now, uh, we have to now uh, start realizing that the one thing that we are losing more than anything is our individual liberty. What does that mean? That means that you get to live your life with your inalienable rights without the government infringing on them. And what is happening right now is that slowly but surely under the guise of all these ridiculous, you know, decided rights, these all these different rights that they put out that they claim they're fighting for, be it civil rights or gay rights or women's rights or whatever rights they say they're fighting for. You know what? Every time that they say they're fighting for some small group's rights, they're taking away more of ours. Okay? Big government is our problem. We can fire about 85% of those people and be a lot better off because we, the people of the United States, are the government. They have no authority over us. In the Constitution, it says that this is a republic by the people, for the people. And that we, we have the authority and that they need to get the consent of the governed. When was the last time you gave consent for anything going on in the swamp of Washington, D.C.? Well, the last time you gave well, consent was when you got your driver's license. When you got your uh, social security number. Uh, those That's when you consented for the swamp of D.C. to rule your life. Right. Mel. registered to vote all, all of those things yep and i it's, it's it's she's really powerful and i love her speech it's outstanding i'll, I'll put it in the show notes so people can hear the whole thing 
But uh, I, I wish that the people involved with this this freedom movement would understand what Agenda 31 is up to and what the Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1, really how powerful this could be. And so anyway, I just bring this up because we're going to try and cross-pollinate some of this data with some of these people in the future here, Corey. You know, I just want to put out there, too, because uh, there are... There are people that listen to the show that I'm uh, that I I know that are on kind of both sides of the aisle in the political spectrum, mm -hmm. and they both get mad. It's it's really fascinating when mm -hmm. uh, I <clears throat> I would kind of make a generalized statement that most of those people that were in that room watching her are more on the more conservative side of the political oh. spectrum. Oh yeah, and. When I bring up to people of that group how important it is to really pay attention to what they have done for consent, then that side gets mad. And then the people on the left get mad for even bringing it up about, you know, government being what it is. It's it's a fascinating position to be in when you're defending uh, fourth article citizenship, how triggering it is to the political parties. Yeah, it, we're going to try and break through that that uh, triggering. Uh, so let's jump into this uh, uh, 2009 court case. And, and, and for some backstory, uh, uh, Corey, we have brought up uh, Clarence Thomas numerous times on this podcast as somebody who is, I think you, if I can coin it properly, waiting for the actual person with standing to come forward to bring a case. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, that, he, in his, uh, that, that was the, the case that really um, was my first case kind of, uh, I don't know, really thinking about Thomas's mind was his concurring opinion on Prince v. United States, who was through, yeah, you know, Richard Mack, which we are, we both know Richard Mack, yeah. uh, Sheriff Mack. He was involved in that lawsuit and that every American should read Clarence Thomas's consenting opinion or concurring opinion for that case. Um, he basically is asking for somebody to bring a Second Amendment case to the Supreme Court using the substantive uh, issues of the Second Amendment. Yeah, and I, I think we quoted that somewhere on our website. I'm trying to find it, but while I'm looking for that, let's. Uh, uh, Tim from Illinois is with us, and he has uh, taken quite some uh, effort to go through this case. And Tim, do you want to summarize for everybody kind of where you stand on this and how it might be? Uh, we're, we're friendly adversaries here uh, in this. Discussion. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, Todd, we, we, met, Oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, Tim, Tim. I didn't mean to step hey, on. Go ahead, well, what I was going to say is Todd and I, we, we were discussing this last night about how sometimes these subjects get heated, but our country is an adversarial form of government. The more people fight the constitutional way we're supposed to fight, the freer the people will be. That's what secures freedom is there is a constant battle going on. So that's Good a kind point. of Good what, point. what what it is. Yeah. So tell me about that. To have, to have, have, it's healthy yes. to have disagreements and settle them. Correct. Peacefully and play play by the rules of the Constitution. The Constitution lays out the rules of how to have these battles. So, Tim, what what made you what drew you to this case and how it related to what we're talking about with four two one? Actually, what drew me to this case was the Dobbs case last year, right? In particularly, you know, where in the Constitution of the United States or the Constitution of the state offer what protections and what historical 
precedents there are in terms of common law to uh, various inalienable rights versus civil rights. And I found it interesting how they overturned Roe v. Wade and on the basis of which they overturned it. And I wanted to see what Thomas's opinions were. And I found that he dives quite a bit into the distinction between state citizenship and citizens of the United States and proper interpretation of the 14th Amendment. So that's where this ties into overlap with Corey's interests. And I'd say, you know, obviously I fully support Corey to be successful um, in protecting his liberties. My premise is I don't hold the same belief in the foundation of um, how his rights are being trampled upon. And so I'm seeking how might the Supreme Court view things relative to some of these more recent cases um, regarding state citizenship and citizenship in the United States? Cool. And and so what led you to the to the McDonald v. City of Chicago then? Just because you were looking for Clarence Thomas's um, Thomas refers, it's been some time for me now, six months since I did this, but mm. he refers to several of the other cases that he has um, made opinions on. Uh, whether they're concurring or dissenting. And this was uh, one of them that was key relative to the topic of citizenship and privileges and rights and privileges and immunities and, and rights mm. and the 14th amendment uh, and article four uh, citizenship itself. So generally speaking, how, why do you think Corey's uh, uh, four, two, one theory is, is not valid? And what about this opinion you think backs that your opinion up? I think Thomas basically says, hey, the court has ebbed and flowed in terms of its interpretation of the Constitution. And he basically summarizes his viewpoint on the proper interpretation regarding the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, citizenship and fundamental rights. And I think that would be consistent with what Corey's beliefs are. Um, but I think Corey believes that the court, and I'm, I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but I believe that the history of how the court has interpreted things have led Corey to believe, well, regardless of how I think it should be and what the proper interpretation is, he's he's trying to overcome obstacles um, that the court has thrown out in terms of previous incorrect interpretations. And Thomas is trying to say, no, no, that's 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 a convoluted interpretation that's allowing the government to to change its mind as it wills uh, and the, the proper more straight interpretation is as follows and and it, and it starts to return to the original intent of the amendments in the constitution hmm I, i'm just not quite following what, what the disconnect is put simply my understanding and corey step in and correct me if i'm wrong is your contention is that there are overlay states, as I'll simply state it, that are government, federal government states that overlay the states of the, se the several states and that, you, that people consent to um, be in that state as opposed to a state citizen state. And through that mechanism, the federal government has power and jurisdiction over you as opposed to, no, everybody's a state citizen and the court in conjunction with Congress are overstepping their bounds and their proper interpretation of the Constitution 
and we need to enforce um, the Constitution itself. It's not that there is a legitimate legal consent given to giving up all your rights um, through this other overlay government. Got it. That's very helpful because we, we have okay. a story that the, 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 the state of Iowa is a subsidiary of the federal government, that the federal government created its own, you know, uh, there's nothing stopping the, the D.C., the federal government, from creating a, Cal, a state called California, which isn't one of the several states. That, we've Correct. talked about that many times. That's the overlay Tim's talking about. Yeah, so I wouldn't use the term overlay. Um, I mean, I know I've used that in the past, mm -hmm. but I think a more correct form of that is to first start out with recognizing how government operates in every state. There is inside every state, there is the federal government. And it, in its sphere of authority, it is sovereign. And then there is the state government. And when I'm using the term state, I'm referring to one of the several states. Those are the two governments that are in every state. After the Civil War, the federal government began, um, I, I mean, it, it, there, certainly in California, I'll just refer to California that way. The, uh, the federal government began a propaganda effort that was masterful to get the state to form a new constitution, which was the Constitution of 1879. It took a number of attempts, but then they formed the Constitution of 1879. Then they went through after that and pulled the boundaries out of that constitution. The key to learning that there are two states is you can look at federal code. You can find a distinction in federal code between a state of the United States and the several states. Those are two different types of states that are there. A state of the United States is a creation of the federal government of its own citizens, right? It's um, a completely separate government. One of the several states in California, that would be, and you can identify these states by their constitutions. That, that's how you identify the state. Their founding constitutions. Yeah, well, just whatever you can <clears throat> so for example well let's go we'll, we'll use texas and california so in california you have the 1849 constitution the rules say in order to replace that constitution that it has to occur over two different legislatures you have the one legislature that votes to have it replaced and then it is put to uh, put to the people and they put it all together once it's approved by the people that doesn't mean that that constitution has been set up. It means that now on the next legislative session, because on the original constitution, the legislative session was only six months. They, they worked part time. So there would be a second, the, the, a second um, legislative body that would then confirm that the constitution has been replaced. And then they would do that. That's not how it was done. I cannot find, I have, asked for everything about that uh, change of the Constitution. And there was no second um, uh, second legislative body that then said, yep, this has been replaced and go through it that way. So what happened was, if you look at it, it was kind of like all the people were tricked into just not showing up to work anymore for the original Constitution. And under the Guarantee Clause, which was covered in Texas, under the guarantee clause, the federal government can now operate the organs of government in the state. 
that's my interpretation of what's happened in California. It's much more clear what happened in Texas. It's the exact same thing and is discussed in Texas v. White, where the Texas state government, the I believe it's 1839 or 1832 Constitution is Texas is the Constitution that brought Texas into the Union. And um, that Constitution was there was no vote to ever replace it or anything. Because what we had was a group of people who really there was a coup in Texas where the governor was, you know, under threat of uh, violence and, you know, people stormed in. They said he must withdraw from the union. And if he didn't, they were, you know, threatening to kill him. So he was forced out of office without a vote. They put somebody else in. And then that person, I forgot his name, that person who became a governor without a vote or anything then said, yep, Texas is no longer part of the union. The Supreme Court ruled that that was people, the the government became completely illegitimate after that. And that under the guarantee clause, the federal government could come in, make war to restore everything. And then the federal government then begins to run all the organs of government. Now, they hadn't set up a separate state. They were using the Reconstruction Acts and things like that to, to run everything. Then they had the federal government then held a vote to create new, this is moving forward, to create new constitutions for Texas. The original constitution, and the Supreme Court said that state has never gone away, the original constitution of Texas was never replaced according to the way the rules are supposed to be done. It's sitting there with every single office unoccupied, just like it was the the moment that it became a rebellious government and from then on texas has been had its organs of government run by federal authority california is the same way and they create these two different two different states but uh tim you brought up a question in this that I read last night that said, help me understand how it is that Mississippi versus, um, I forgot the other state. Was it uh, Louisiana? I, I think that's what it was. We were talking last night, Todd. And they were bringing a case that referenced the original um, uh, Article Three jurisdiction for two states to sue each other in court. So you were asking, how could there be two overlay states? Well, the feds are running the the state of Mississippi. So like there's nobody else to come in there and do it. So these people who are subject to the federal, they're subject to, you know, federal uh, uh, executive orders. They are in charge of under the guarantee clause. They are in charge of running the state. Uh, Certainly in Texas, It's not been brought up in California, but in Texas it has. Texas is a great state to look at how all of these two states are running. But um, uh, that that is where you'd find the distinction. I'm kind of threw a word salad out there just now that jumped all over. I hope that made a little bit of sense. So I agree that there were things happened during the Civil War that you referred to for Texas. Um, But let me. Let me just go out there and say, if if all the states, correct me if I'm wrong, you and maybe a handful of other people, but you know, certainly less than 100 people in the states are are partaking uh, the stance that you have that you're a state citizen, and not a not a citizen of the United States in terms of the context that you've described. 
So I'm going to ask a very basic question. How have all of the leaders of the federal government been uh, legitimately holding office if there are no state citizens to uh, elect uh, state governments that either one before there was the amendment used to assign who was going to be the senator in Congress for their state if those states don't exist to be able to elect them. So that that means yeah. that oh, it's a great, that it's a great question is not it's being done under the if that even existed. It's done under the guarantee clause. And in Texas v. White, it discusses how uh, the feds have authority to come in and run Texas's government. It's because the uh, that's not the federal government. I'm asking, Corey. I'm asking, let's presume that you're correct, that they could continue to do that. But once they have eliminated all state citizens, then there is no mechanism by which the, the people that are supposed to hold office for the federal government can be elected to hold office. To execute that, execute what? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not understanding the question. But you keep referring to the federal government under the guarantee clause is is taking care of the state because the state yeah was taken over with. So I agree that's what happened early on, and uh, like at the point of that towards the end of the Civil War during the Civil War. But my point is now, fast forward fifty years, hundred years, etc. Past then. Based on your premise, all the states are now have federal states are being run by the federal government and offices are being held by federal officials, correct? So let let, let me I'm going to say that my presumption is that but absolutely certain between Texas and California that that is what's happening. Those are the two states I know the most about. So let, let me jump in here real quick, too, because I think it adds some color to this, and that is. Because this is a new approach that I don't remember us talking about, and that is that that we're what I'm hearing you say, Corey, is yeah, they're at the 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 feds are actually providing through the guarantee Republican form of government. That's why they're running the state because they're they're. But what I think our issue is is that okay, that's fine, but because they're treating all the people inside the state of of California as federal citizens, not state citizens, they can violate their rights. They can have discretionary situations like, oh, if you want to, you have to get a driver's license to buy a gun. You have to sign a consent away to get a blood draw if you want to get a driver's license. All those things we've talked about. And that's the challenge. And so we're not necessarily saying, hey, um, you, you go ahead and continue to run it, like you, it being the government. And think about this, everybody, too, listeners. So our understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, all the courts have federal tax ID numbers. The, right. the DMV yeah. has a tax. The, 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 the California DMV has a federal tax ID number. They all have those. Correct. Right. So they're exactly. all federal. They're ends legist creatures of law. They're all they're all creatures of the feds with, under the guise if, of California state. Correct. Yeah. And if uh, uh, and, and certainly no one in the state of California would that works for the government would say that the executive offices of the governor are located in Washington, D.C. They, they won't challenge that. That's a that is an absolute um, uh, fact. There's or well, I say they will consent to that, that that's what it is. The um, well, back up a second. Uh, Repeat what you just said, please. Sure. The executive the, offices of the governor are located in D.C., in D.C. in a building on um, 
Well, I used to know the address right yep. off the top of yep. my head, but We've it's in a building that. called the Hall of States. Yep. And uh, to go back to Tim's point about mm -hmm. like, how is this happening? If we go to Texas v. White is very clear on Texas. So let's let's look at Texas. And Texas v. White was um, a decision that came right after the Civil War. So we're talking about a decision from a long time ago. I'll, I'll clarify that Texas v. White has been overturned, but on other grounds. So what they said in that Texas v. White case was that... Um, uh, the federal government through the guarantee clause was running the state government. And they, they talk about why the original constitution, why that government had been, uh, had been used. So th let me, let me bring, I'd have to read down on it. It's been a while. This one is a little bit different. Uh, I can and, see and Tim, that. While you're looking at this, Corey, I want to throw another thing out there that Tim made me think about. And that is, I, I get the, the kind of the hypocrisy, if you will, of, you know, if, if you're not, if the, the federal, the elected officials in D.C. Have, haven't been elected by state citizens, they've been elected by federal citizens. And technically state citizens, their governments don't exist. So they're not going to be having they're not really set up to vote. Um, they, I mean, it's a completely right. it's a I, I whole get it. another I get lawsuit. It. But, but yeah. the reason the reason that we as people that are averring four two one state citizenship. Can have. A beef with california highway patrol the dmv authorities government we're not saying they don't have authority we're saying that they are when they violate our rights we, we are protected by those the bill of rights because they took an oath of office even though they're on the federal in the federal funny zone like we call it you know where it's all discretionary yeah but you also took an oath to uphold the constitution and that's what applies to article four section two clause one where in other words state citizens are the only one that can access the bill of rights to enforce the directly the rights directly right. so to that's access why them there's directly. still a nexus with hey that's why the county sheriff is the most important person you should know but guys my point is if what you guys are claiming is true is that there can't be any federal officers because they all ultimately are derived from the actions of state citizens, which are extinct, except for Corey and maybe a few others. So there's nobody legitimately holding office that can legitimately exercise the powers and duties um, found in the Constitution and then cannot effectively respond to what your claim is. Well, that... So the framers put the country together to the point where they wanted to make it where voting didn't matter, that it's a constitutional republic and whoever is in office is bound by the Constitution. That's my point. They are not so, in office, Corey. That's my whole point. Um, they are occupying the, an okay, office, great. They Let's, are occupying the office just as illegitimately as the governor in Texas who assumed the office after they forced no, out the governor. I, I definitely disagree with that. So okay. if we go back to when this happened, when the country fell apart, that would be when the South walked out and there was no longer a quorum. Now, everything, all of the legislative bodies, everything are operating through Washington, D.C. So if we take what happened was all of a sudden now, the states are no longer able to do any business in Washington, D.C. The um, the states then 
began to topple as far as uh, after the Civil War, you can go through and see like California was one of them where there was a propaganda campaign to end the state government um, through, you know, what they had was a vote. And the feds were able to come in and at that point be able to create, you know, states of the United States. You see that beginning to happen early on. So the federal government has, whether there's a vote or not, according to my interpretation of Texas v. White, where it says the federal government under the guarantee clause has an obligation to come in and guarantee to the people, not to the government, that the guarantee clause only is applicable to state citizens who have no connection to government. Those are the, that's who the guarantee clause is meant for. And, um, and that that situation just hasn't changed. It's still going on. If you look at U.S. elections, all U.S. elections are happening within the federal portion of government inside the boundaries of our state in California. You can look at because they use state law, the term United States in state law, every single iteration I've ever seen in state law. And feel free to show me something different. When they use the term United States, it doesn't mean the country. It means the federal government. That's at the state level. So every single vote, every every teacher, every agency of the state, every single one of the, the organs of government that we see today in our state exists within the federal government side of our two forms of government in California. Okay, it's the Corey, same I'm way not, in Texas. Let's focus on that. I'm not arguing that there's no state government. Okay. I'm accepting right. your premise for the moment for the case. But what you're of saying is that this federal government is illegitimate, right? I'm saying that there's no way the federal government can exist if the state is extinct. Um, but the federal government is completely separate from the states. It is a a fully separate sovereign. So if a no, state what, were what to... were the mechanisms? What were the mechanisms prior to the Civil War of how Congress was how people took office in Congress? I'll, I, I I totally agree with you on that without getting into the weeds. They, they were elected according to the Constitution. There was no 14th Amendment. There was no, um, uh, there was no uh, break. The, the quorum existed, everything. Now, once the quorum of states no longer existed in government, that, that government is no longer functional. Um, this is one of my contentions. You can't find anybody else really saying this other than conspiracy theories and things. But when the that uh, that change in the Constitution that you see written is uh, Constitution of versus Constitution for the con- the term Constitution for the United States, we see that happen after the Civil War, and that basically the federal government did not have a constitution of its own. It was the constitution of the states, and then they created the federal government. Then when there was no quorum, when the southern states walked out, we see, I I think this was the genius of Lincoln, and what I've read from him, this is completely consistent in the way he would think, is in order to keep the union together, he now created a constitution by executive authority, just because he's the president, created a constitution for the federal government, which mirrors 
the constitution of the nation. And they changed that to say constitution for the United States. My personal opinion is that fits perfectly with Lincoln's personality on that. And that what we have is a broken country and that the federal government is operating all of these organs of government through the guarantee clause. Now, what it sounds to me like what you're saying is that because there are no state citizens to um, uh, to elect a federal government, that they no longer legitimately hold office. I disagree with that because if state citizens, let's say there was no civil war or anything, and state citizens refuse to vote for anyone in federal office, would the federal government then just disappear? Would it just go away? I don't think it would. And I think the federal government, the way it was put together, being it's like a state, except it isn't one of the several states, right? It it certainly is like a state. And all over in all sorts of definitions of the term United States throughout federal code, the definition is exclusive of the several states. It will say things like um, uh, the United States includes a state of the United States, Guam, without the several states. Hold on. So I'm just going to have to beg to confer on your opinion, which is fine. We don't have yeah, to. Jim, hold on one second. Guys, bear with me. Oh, did we lose something? Yeah, I was like an idiot. I moved something and I shouldn't have. It was all working fine until I messed it up. And you guys, all right. Um, all right. So I'm getting text messages that the feed just cut out. Oh, shoot. Okay, hold on. Bear with me. Cut out. Hold on. Damn it. Okay, it says it's still established. This is how we make the sausage, folks. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay, it's still, the stream is still moving. While you're while you're working on that, Todd, can I ask Tim a question? By all means, and I I think we're back to okay. everything's solid. So carry on. Let me just text the crowd and see if it's back. Yeah, Tim, you were going to say something when I interrupted, so be ready. I think you're finish your thought there. And uh, we are. So let me understand, Tim. Um, what if? Uh, stop me, Todd, if we need to pause for a second. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff from Oregon just texted me and said the stream's back on. So cool. fantastic. Cool. Okay. Um, so, Tim, you're disagreeing that uh, that the federal government is legitimate under the guarantee clause. How is it that the federal government is legitimate if, you know, like... Are you saying everyone is both a state citizen and a U.S. citizen, or what? what is it that is keeping the federal government going right now, in your opinion, to make it legitimate, or are you saying it's illegitimate and everybody holds office illegitimately? No, uh, the latter thing you said, I don't hold. I'm just trying to use logic to say that this is why, in part, I don't agree with what you believe the condition of uh, the government and the people are at the moment. Um Okay, what Maybe. what is your what is your position of the the um you know what is your the relationship between the federal government and the people today? What how would you describe that? I think this is a good segue into 
specifically the document that we were going to review today, and that is, I think the proper relationship would be that which Thomas just summarizes in the case that uh, we originally started with, McDonald versus City of Chicago. Um, do I think that exists ideally as it's stated? No, I believe that it's that the condition we're in now is not because of the nature of Lincoln establishing uh, a federal government different in order to save the union, because if those states didn't exist, that the union does not exist. Uh, um, I believe it's just pure corruption and, and usurpation of power uh, due to greed. And it's just, we need to, to win back our liberty. Okay, so slowly. one of the really big things, the most important thing that we talk about on the show is comedy. The comedy is um, the the treatment, the equal treatment of citizens between different states. Uh, hey, I'm getting a notice from from uh, the crowd that uh, Jeff in Oregon is saying that all he can hear is someone typing right now. That's it. Well, there's a lag too, by the way. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah. all right. So, yeah, there was a moment there where that was what was happening, but there's a lag, so we should be good. Let me just tell them in the room there. Yeah. Okay. So comedy is, um, I think, the part where in Thomas's guide, where he, he, we have it on the screen now, he says, I write separately because I believe there's a more straightforward path to this conclusion, one that is more faithful to the 14th Amendment's text and history. First off, I agree with Thomas 100% that the people, the, the American people, when they when they when the 14th amendment was ratified that its intent was to not create a second class citizenship the courts right away responded by saying this is a very strange character of citizenship because it was okay they're saying they can only hear todd not me right now but we'll see if it catches up yeah it does. um cool the uh the the 14th amendment when the court, one of the first cases, and I forgot what it is, but one of the first cases that the court ruled on where they were talking about this citizenship, they referred to it as a very strange status that puts the courts in a very difficult position. Almost them saying, like, we just have to make policy decisions. So with comedy, the part that I think f maybe begins to fail is if comedy is going to apply to a 14th amendment citizen then the supreme court will end up having to just make a policy decision on limiting that rather than it being a constitutional decision and comedy is is like the most important right in the constitution i i because if without comedy then they can they can modify every other right in the constitution so if um if somebody is from Guam, right, and they're a U.S. citizen, do they have comedy? Does that mean somebody can just come from Guam and uh, or where any of the other territories? And now all of a sudden, if they're applying the 14th Amendment the way Justice Thomas describes it in here, what do we do with comedy? Um, do, do you have, does that make sense or do you have an answer to that, Todd? I don't. I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, I, I meant Tim. Sorry about that. Uh, he dresses comedy at length, which is uh, 
essentially, if you are a citizen in one state, you are able to enjoy the rights of citizens in another state as if you were a citizen of that state. I think what is ambiguous was whether or not the Comity Clause required the states to recognize all fundamental rights or the states could specify which fundamental rights they recognize. So that would bring my question that there are U.S. citizens outside of any of the several states. Those U.S. citizens would be like we can use Puerto Rico, uh, Guam. Um, there are U.S. citizens in American Samoa. Yep. Now, what would the, the question, those U.S. citizens in American Samoa, would now the court have to expand the applicability of comedy, which was only supposed to apply to the states. And the court's reasoning why comedy does not apply to a U.S. citizen is because the District of Columbia is not included in any of the several states. So if we if we go down that path with trying to warp the Constitution, so I use the example of, hey, we've got a car, and what they did was they put the car in reverse, and instead of fixing it and putting the car back in first gear so it can go forward, now what they're doing is they're taking the hood of the car, putting it on the back, switching everything around and trying to make it drive. But it's still in reverse gear. It was never intended to drive in reverse. So having comedy be a part of what the federal government's authority is, then um, uh, that, that would be a difficult thing to overcome. I, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it, it's just not addressed. The The idea of state citizenship being... Right it's, it's not addressed. I can't remember the case. There was an early case in our country where someone tried to bring suit, and he was not a citizen of a state. He had domiciled, I believe it was in Washington, D.C., and he tried to bring suit to the Supreme Court or through a federal court, and he was not allowed to bring case suit because, as they said, the Founding Fathers never envisioned having to cover this condition. They were focused on the relationship between citizens of the states. So in terms of other federal territory besides Washington, D.C., I agree that the Comedy Clause, unfortunately, doesn't apply to U.S. citizens who are not in one of the several states. That does not constitute anything other than what was just stated is that has not been addressed by the Constitution. There has also been, I don't remember the case, but it, there was a, an act of Congress that also claimed and stated by their authority that the Constitution applied to Washington, D.C. and federal territory. And later, I can't recall the case off the top of my head, that was attempted or argued in a case to not apply anymore. And the Supreme Court said that is a grant of rights that can never be with, uh, withheld or, or uh, repealed and that the Constitution applies in every single, in D.C. and all federal territory. Okay, so what would be, like, right now, this case I have with the DMV, I'm arguing that under the 13th Amendment, I don't have to participate in uh, the, the DMV's program. A uh, a resident 
my opinion is a resident does not have a what's that you say 13th amendment what do you mean involuntary servitude correct yeah there is civil obligations associated with having a driver's license that i don't consent to and the 13th amendment is to cover all forms of like slavery obviously but it was a declaration to the world that all forms of civil obligations that are um, involuntary are prohibited in the country. That, that, that's a kind of a summary of a quote from the Supreme Court. So with the DMV, for example, in California, the DMV is able to overturn Supreme Court decisions through the driver's license application. What with if the DMV has the power to license and create all of these different waivers that they've put, because it's been challenged over and over again, it's been challenged by U.S. citizens and has failed. And all the gun rights, everything that um, uh, that for the last 80 years, everyone's been trying to do everything, including this case, this um it looks like to me, I'd have to go look at the the way the court approved standing. But if this case was a 14th Amendment case, then it means a U.S. citizen brought it in. So there would be no discussion of state citizenship, only the discussion of the 14th Amendment for how the uh, Second Amendment applies. So if we're looking at the DMV being able to change a driver's license application to overcome a Supreme Court decision, where is what what authority would you use to force them to change the the waivers of rights that are associated with a driver's license? Because right now the waivers of rights with a driver's license are, according to the Supreme Court, about as complete as you can get to the point where they're saying we can't boil you in oil. But we uh, we can do pretty much what we want with you. What what would be your because uh, I'm, I'm not quite understanding the position that you would take on how to address that. Would you take that position as a U.S. citizen and then say you're not allowed to change the application for a driver's license? And if so, what what authority would you reference for that? So sorry, my audio video is coming in and out. Bummer. Okay. Can you hear me, guys? Yep. Yeah, I can hear you. So I think you asked, well, how would you proceed in your case effectively? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. First thing I would say is, yes, you need to identify, are you, what rights are being um, withheld? Or how are you being coerced as to not to be able to enjoy a right? Is that a right of a citizen of the state of California or the state California? Or is it a right that is guaranteed under the Constitution of the United States, uh, which would, in my words, would be a, and I think Thomas's words would be, is it a right re related to state citizenship or uh, citizenship of the United States, not of this federal state that Abraham Lincoln created from your opinion. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just add a little color to that. I'm arguing the 13th amendment, the 13th amendment failed. It, it, the whole point of the 13th amendment was to prevent slavery. And it turned out that the courts ruled that that only applied to citizens and that those held in 
those previously held in involuntary servitude were not citizens of the state and the federal government lacked the authority to compel the states to make them citizens. So what happened was the follow-up to that, to deal with slavery and making sure that that would never happen again, the federal government then, um, um, well, the, the 14th Amendment under you know, these very strange conditions where the, the quorum of states has never been brought back. It's never been restored. So under this strange system, of running kind of like an emergency power after the, the, I, I just can't War. agree with your, your logic. It's just, I, I think, and I fear that you, but will, this is not my logic. If this you is use the such Supreme an Court. argument, I think it will be deemed frivolous. What will um, be deemed frivolous? Sorry, but it's just... to, the, um, the Dred Scott case overturned what was many years of holdings in Missouri Supreme Court related to the ordinance of the North Northwest ordinance at 1787 forbidding there to be slavery in the North. You still there, Tim? Uh Oh, I don't know what happened there. You still have him on the zoom thing. I still, I see him in the, in the, the stream. Yeah. In the zoom room. We lost you, Tim. You there? Right, row. Um. So, so dealing with dealing with the Thirteenth Amendment in the several states. Oh yeah, we just lost him. Dang. Um. Maybe he can join the the uh, the Zoom again. Yeah. But <clears throat> to put color on that, the territories are subject to a completely different form of government. the The federal government doesn't need a vote. They can. The federal government could in the territories just outlaw um slavery and mm -hmm. and nobody would be allowed to be a slave in the uh, uh in the territories but that's not they they may use the 13th amendment i'm not familiar with what he was referring to as far as the northwest ordinance in missouri but i could see the federal government using the 13th amendment to outlaw slavery in any of the territories but it's it's a irrefutable um fact that uh the 13th amendment failed to protect those previously held in servitude you know the slaves it it did not benefit them the 13th amendment was not able to protect them from being held in slavery and the 14th amendment was created to correct that that's discussed in length at on one of the supreme court decisions i've read i forgot which one it is but the the territories are a completely different form of government. They, they had their own governments that were written out, but the federal government has so much power over territory that they can change things. Um, the, there, it, it just is, there's no comedy in any of the territories. And, uh, uh, and so a 13th amendment, if you could find a, it would, it would help me a lot if we could find a case where somebody who was previously held in involuntary servitude using the 13th Amendment, and they're not a citizen of the state, and that that was helpful. Because the court's verbiage on that is, you know, like they use this verbiage all the time for when something appears to violate a right, they'll say, well, that like the Fourth Amendment permits such a search. 
And you can find another case where the Fourth Amendment doesn't. The differentiation is between a state citizen and a resident. Yep. Tim's back. Can Can you hear us, Tim? Okay, cool. Yes. So I'm going to say two quick things here and and keep this moving um, because I want to get back to some of the stuff about Thomas here. Uh, It's my understanding that the proof of concept of what 421, averring Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1, state citizenship, um, will is proven out is right now the 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 crucible that Corey is in is with the dmv and he's got a, a writ of mandamus filed at the superior court to compel a them to do what they said they would do and that was destroy the driver's uh, license record that he uh opted out of years ago and they said they would and and then subsequently he had a roadside stop where they said oh you still have the record in here here's we're, we're using we're using your ends legist name and you have a, and we're calling you the birth record and you and your license is suspended so therefore you we have authority over you and you're out of you know, not in compliance with the law and they didn't destroy the record but there are instances Corey, correct me if i'm wrong where uh if the record wasn't there they have nothing they can do to you and they're going to back off. And they have well, backed off you many times, right? Well, yeah. The last five years have been a struggle to get a ticket. Like right. It's been a hard time getting a ticket. But what it, it's not that they couldn't do anything. It's just they would have to treat me like a state citizen. And mm-hmm. then, you know, um, uh, Rich in Texas and I, we've talked about this at length, the 10th Amendment, because they derive their authority from within the United States, the 10th Amendment would prevent them from... Uh, prosecuting someone for a a crime that is not a crime because it's a civil action they have no authority to do that they have to maintain that you are either a resident of california which means you could just be someone from china who is here on a u.s residency visa or a tourist visa or something like that you would be a resident of california the um the state would then absolutely have authority to prosecute traffic violations but against a state citizen the 10th amendment would be able to be brought in to uh, prevent them from prosecuting a case like that so that's something that's why this to me seems like such a big fight another point of that adds some validity to my case is when you do a writ of mandamus you have to get the judge to approve it first you don't just go down there and file it and now the dmv has to answer you file the writ of mandamus. Well, in California, it's called a writ of mandate. You file the writ of mandate and then the court reviews it and then they either approve or deny it. And in this case, the court approved it. And I'm very clear in my statements that I am a non-resident citizen of California. So the the DMV is now required to answer to the court on that standing. If I were the DMV, the the way I would attack it is to say, here's the evidence we have that Corey is not a, you know, a state citizen. Um, I'm I'm not sure how they are going to do it. No no one's ever brought that argument up yet. That's correct. Well, I can't find anyone who has. And the court, the court did approve the filing like they they -hmm. would have rejected if I had no standing for the case. If there was no such thing as a non-resident state citizen, then my contention would be the court would not have allowed this case to proceed. They would have just denied it at the very beginning because that that's the process for this type of action. This is an extraordinary writ 
That's what they call it. And um, accessing the court's power as a representative of the people to access the court's power to have the court then order the DMV to do something. And in this case, it's destroy my license card, close the account. Um, and now the DMV is in a position where they have to answer legitimately my claim to being a state citizen without being a U.S. citizen. So good point. And, and I think well taken in my view. But, Tim, I want to get back to you and the and the Thomas opinion uh, momentarily here. And to rephrase what I think I heard you say earlier was that Thomas is not, in your view, asserting that there are um, a distinction between the 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 the, the, the citizenship that that the, the government's just out of control and not uh, enforcing the law. They're 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 the ones out of sorts. It's not because of of the status of of the citizen. Is that correct? Correct. It's more of they've they've waned and they've changed through the decades of how they're interpreting constructing law because. Unlike Scalia, they find the Constitution to be a living document as opposed to a right. dead document. So, and and last night, Corey, I think you said something to the effect of, "I agree with what Tim is asserting about Thomas's approach, but it actually reinforces your approach." Is I think what you told me. Yeah, like I, I think that the intent for the Fourteenth Amendment was not like the average American would would not be looking at that like, oh yeah, let's create a whole bunch of second-class citizens. That That is not what the intent was. And I think in this case where Thomas is writing his um, his opinion, the uh, I, this was a concurring opinion from him. I can't remember if it was concurring or dissenting opinion. It just says opinion. Uh, was concurring. concurring. Okay. Oh yeah, concurring in part and concurring in judgment. Okay. So... The way um, I see this, the way Thomas is writing it is kind of like, here's what should be done. But when you look at what the court has actually decided on when it comes to federal citizenship, it's not what they're actually doing. And um, th that's like the, these aren't references to uh, this wouldn't be a reference like his opinion here wouldn't be a reference that I would use to say I'm a U.S. citizen. I don't have to be a part of the DMV program. Right. I, I wouldn't find this to be a valid the, reference because he's not writing for the plurality. Could, could you expand on that? I don't understand what you mean by that. If the person who writes for the plur the majority who voted for the ruling when what they state if it's directly addressing the question and the ruling, it's not dicta. If a concurring opinion doesn't have the same weight, if they give different reasoning other than the reasoning of the plurality, that's my understanding. So it doesn't make it quite as powerful as if I forgot who wrote the, 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 the dissenting of the court. not the dissent who, who, yeah. who wrote the opinion of the court. Ah, there's a difference between that and a concurring opinion. I see what you're saying. Yeah, a concurring opinion is like guidance. Right. And in this case, commentary, uh, commentary guidance, information, but not information mm -hmm. that you would use as a reference for, mm -hmm. um, you know, a battle like any, any type of constitutional battle. This would be a reference 
Um, okay. That would be, so it, we just skip past it. It talks about the slaughterhouse cases. I, I mean, we could go on case text real quick and check. I'm very confident that slaughterhouse cases have not been overturned. And those are very clear that there is a distinction between state and federal citizenship and that there are. Um, yeah, Merle uh, always brings right? that up. Our, yeah, one of our listeners, cool. Merle, who you guys have been in threads with, always brings up slaughterhouse cases. And Crookshank, he brings Crookshank up a lot, too. Yeah, those are both cases that are very clear about the distinction between state and federal citizenship. It's been a long time since I've read Crookshank, so that my memory would be, and slaughterhouse cases. But um, So, Tim, is there, uh, is there anything? conflating the two. Is there anything in particular, Tim, in this? Because you highlighted a lot of things in here. Um that you want us to focus on for a minute here while we're doing this uh, broadcast to to say, hey, this is where I think Thomas is not supporting your theory. Agenda 31. Um, it's been six months or so since I wrote the, uh, since I reviewed sure. this. So right, right. I'm not prepared to be able to say that other than glancing through the notes. Uh -huh. I'd like to take just a minute to help. I think the key here is. Corey. I completely, if you approach your your case on the basis of your state citizen and what rights a state citizen is um, should be protected by the state and or the federal government, that is one approach. And I think that would be great. If part of that approach requires you to try and prove that there is this other federal state that Lincoln and others set up, I think that that will be a hurdle for you in the courts. Well, I discuss it directly in my filing. There's the, this is a state of the United States and the, and the court let it in. The federal code is very clear, distinguishing the several states from states of the United States. And um, uh, I, I, personally think it's very easy to distinguish between the two yeah. um there's only I, one way I, to find out I, yeah we'll see yeah. but Corey, how do i state this i haven't i haven't read your your filing but i'm assuming from the way you described it is well you use the term united states and citizen state citizen but you don't directly come out and say that there was a lack of a quorum and under assumed authority as president in order to save the union, Lincoln created federal states in order to try and save the union. Well, I don't and need to. And that, that's purely story. like, like I say, that's purely me reading something and then trying to figure out where did that come from there? I have no references to it, but I do have references to the distinguishing, the distinguishing code between the several states and states of the United States. In fact, in um, uh, in the section of the code where it talks about um, the several states and uh, it distinguishes Hawaii and Alaska from the several states. And if you go in and look at like Alaska there, I'm sorry, if you look at Hawaii, the way Hawaii was brought into the union was not brought into the union as one of the several states. It was brought into the union by the president just declaring it and then Congress saying, yep, we back what he does. That is not how the states are brought into the union. Um, and then Hawaii and Alaska are differentiated from the several states in federal code. So there's a lot of 
of things there that will support that. There just hasn't been, I, in fact, I put in, in my thing that uh, by me not being prosecuted for the driver's license issue and things like that, that the state is preventing the court from giving guidance to the people on this issue. We don't have any real guidance on this. And there's nobody that I'm aware of who has gone into, you know, born in one of the several states and then um, uh, gone into being a citizen of the United States and fully in like me, social security card, driver's license, registered to vote, everything, and then leave that and going back. You remember the girl that uh, the girl that didn't exist, Todd, we talked about her. I would love to get an update on her, but she was, she had a hard time getting into school because she didn't have a birth certificate. She didn't have all of that. Well, they weren't going to deport her. Like they, they, they're not going to deport her. They recognized her legitimacy as a, an individual who is a citizen of the country, but they were discriminating against her by not letting her in school because she didn't have a birth certificate. So my Pennington. That's right. Pennington. That's it. I, I mean, I tried so hard to reach her to say, wait a minute, don't do that. But um, the, I think her proper course of action would have been instead of becoming a U.S. citizen and having the court create a fake birth certificate, not a fake, but create a birth certificate and all of that for her so she could go to school. The proper legal strategy for a better government would have been to force the government to accept a state citizen into school. And I would do that based on the government discriminating against a state citizen. Um, and, and I'm curious, Tim, let me ask you, do with the driver's license in California, um, it's a, to me, it's a big deal that the, the agency is able to overturn Supreme court decisions by simply changing the application. How would you go about dealing with that? That's a good question. So I think your defense about the 13th Amendment is one way. Um, maybe you found this, but there are U.S. codes, which brings up a federal question for filing in a federal court. Um, 18 U.S. Code, Section 1584, uh, prohibits involuntary servitude by legal coercion. Also... Okay. Can I, can I stop you real quick? Yeah. That would be, you know, that, okay. That I, the 13th amendment would, my position is you either are part, you volunteer into the DMV system or you're not like the, you, the, uh, the military, you don't get to go into the military and say, okay, I'm going to keep my 13th amendment rights. And if you order me to rush a, a machine gun, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Once you've joined the military, you, you they own you. The DMV, once you join this DMV's program, then they are it's their program. They can change it all they want, but they can't force me to be a part of that program. Now, the way they go about um, forcing people or compelling people to follow, for instance, the vehicle code, which the vehicle code is very clear. 21052 of the vehicle code says that it only applies to government officials while they are employed by the government in the course of their duties. They have to have a license. Residents have to follow every single code. There, it doesn't matter if it only applies to government or uh, anything. That we've learned that with um, the Rossum Foods 
they charged uh, they charged the people with Rossum Foods for violating codes that only apply to government. And in this now goes into international law. And remember, our this is a federated republic. So each state is kind of like a nation, but they just don't deal with other nations directly. But the term resident is applicable. This is why the United States, in my opinion, is such a beautiful country and so different from any other country on earth is that the framers put so much work into the the comedy clause under the Articles of Confederation. It became something that was well understood and didn't have to spend so much time on it when the Articles of Confederation failed, when that when that government collapsed and they created the government of the United States. Now, the comedy clause was made much more simple. But um, so the uh, this is this is a. This is your uh, writ. Of, this is your filing for the writ that we covered correct last episode. And you say in here, uh, plaintiff is a non-resident citizen of California, and you cite California California Government Code two four one A, which I correct up here. And this is uh, it's not the actual state government's website, um, but it is citing. Is this what you know this to be, Corey? Citizens of the state are a all persons born in the state and residing within it, except the children of foreign public ministers and consuls. B all persons born out of the state who are citizens of the United States and residing within the state. Right. So that second one B is what they want everyone to be. That's what everybody in government thinks everyone is. And the term United States right there means the federal government. So all persons born out of the state are citizens of the federal government and residing within the state. That's literally what the term United States means right there. It doesn't mean the country. It doesn't, it's state law. The term United States means the federal government. So So I am not a, I'm not a citizen under B. I'm a citizen under A. Mm -hmm. The government has me identified as a citizen under B. And you can see how many rights and they, They've done a good job of propaganda. I mean, we're talking like four or five generations now of this propaganda being absolutely rock solid. Um, so um, to the point, go ahead. I was going to say to the point where I have yet to have met an attorney who has even studied that, that like there's every time I've ever had the chance to talk to an attorney and I bring up California commercial code 9307H or California government code 240 and 241, not not one attorney has ever been able to give me a reasonable explanation about it. I've had a whole bunch of people, like a whole bunch of attorneys, they'll look at like California Commercial Code 9307H and they'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense because that's where the capital is. And if I, if I press them on it and say, okay, I have a contract with, um, with someone and I'm going to sue them. Is that contract in the United States or outside the United States? And they always say, well, it's in the United States because the capital is located in Washington, DC. And that, I mean, or to something to that effect, they just don't, it's not taught in law school. It's been completely wiped from the American consciousness and their, their responses don't make sense. 9307 California commercial code. H scroll down to H the United States is located in the district of Columbia. And this is the part where the attorneys I mentioned last night, attorneys come out of law school brain damaged because they're taught something and they believe it so thoroughly that they reject information outside of what they've been taught. 
Not one attorney has ever explained this to me in a very simple sentence. And all it says is the federal government is located in the District of Columbia. That's all it says. And that's not controversial. It's not a that's not even something anybody should even, you know, be arguing about yet. Having an attorney, if you start going down that that fact that the United States is located in the District of Columbia and then you start looking at contracts, commercial contracts, they're all in the United States. And that's because there are two governments in every state, a federal government and a state government. The state of the United States is located in the United States. The several state California is not located in the United States. And it's a, uh, I think it simplifies it by saying the federal government is located in the District of Columbia. So now you would find your contracts that you have are in federal government jurisdiction that and and they just pretend like there is no such thing as state jurisdiction so, so Corey, Corey, back back to you asked me what i would do i think you misinterpreted yeah. my response which i didn't get to finish oh sorry about as, that as a state citizen you are you are suing based off of 13th amendment involuntary servitude and you are protected as a state citizen I believe not as a citizen of the United States by congressional code that defines and clarifies in, in more detail the 13th Amendment and voluntary servitude. Among those are Title 18, United States Code, Section 1584. And if they, by legal coercion, will not allow you to maintain your state citizenship, and give up your license, that is consistent, that is federal code in support constitutionally by the 13th Amendment. That has to do with legal coercion, and I believe I have to look it up, maybe uh, violent coercion. And then there was a ruling in 1999 where there was psychological coercion that some, some, some people that had some mental disabilities had been coerced into involuntary servitude. And the Supreme Court said, no, that has to be defined more clearly by Congress. So in Title 22, Section 7101, B13, they then clarified that and said, it can also now include nonviolent coercion. So are you telling me that you don't think that you can rely upon any of the federal statutes that are based off of the 13th Amendment, because the Supreme Court will probably look for clarification on, on what the 13th Amendment means. And I'm not saying as a United States citizen, I'm saying as a state citizen. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, I'm my interpretation of the law. And let me tell you, it would be so much easier if I could just like not have to go through all of this to restrain the DMV. The DMV is completely out of control in California. My interpretation of everything that I have read going all the way back to Charlie Sprinkle and who was famous for using the commercial arguments is that a U.S. citizen is a resident in every state. There have been multiple lawsuits in California referring to the, um, the 13th amendment. There's been uh, a number of people saying the DMV is not allowed to do what it's doing. And I'm suggesting that, wait a minute, the court is saying, yes, they can do what they're doing, but I don't have to be a part of it. 
So if you're a part of it, if you voluntarily sign up for a DMV driver license, then you're, um, you've consented that it's a waiver of rights. And in Birchfield versus North Dakota, they were very clear that the driver's license is a bargain. And when you sign up, you waive rights in exchange for a license. And that at that point, they can't boil you in oil, but they can do what they want with you. To me, that was very clear about what the power is that the DMV has. It's kind of like if I have a club at my house, I'm allowed to have any club I want. I'm just not allowed to make anybody be a part of it if they don't want to. And a state, I, I don't think, and it would be really fascinating if, uh, if you wanted to do a concurring lawsuit in, in, uh, in your state, Tim, where we would just attack this from two different points of view. One would be your point of view, doing the same thing to the DMV. Whatever you find is an issue for me, I've picked the issue of, I, I do not want to be a part of their system. But if you're saying that you would be want to be able to keep a driver's license, um, but then restrain the DMV from- That's not what from... I'm saying, Corey. That's not what okay, I'm saying. Okay, cool. I think you're what, taking what are you it saying? down a completely different avenue. I'm pointing out, is where what court did you file suit in? State court. Okay. And you're, you're bringing up in state court a federal question, Correct. 13th amendment. Well, no, it's, it's a, well, the fed, the 13th amendment is brought up, but involuntary servitude is prohibited in the California um, constitution. In the 1879 constitution, the um, uh, I think it's article six is it prevents involuntary servitude. So but, I'm but you, also bringing that up as well. You are a state citizen claimed to be a state citizen of 1849. Not yeah, but they operate in, yeah, but the 1879 is what they're guided by. That that is what they run under. That is that is what controls them. Is the 1879 Constitution? The 1849 Constitution has to be respected, but it's not. It's not their. It, it doesn't apply to them because they're all in the federal portion of the two forms of government. That that's interesting. I find that that might be an error if you are subject. You have you submitted yourself to their jurisdiction if you are applying to that court, which is part of the 1879 in the federal state. So I would have looked at this differently and I would have said, I'm a citizen of the state in California and you are legally, you're using legal coercion to force me to have a driver's license that's against the 13th amendment and some of the code that I mentioned, that's a federal question. I would have brought it to federal court. Right now, you're bringing it to the federal state court, not a federal district court. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the the appropriate court for if you went to court for a writ of mandamus in federal court, I believe that they would reject it. But the only way to know is to find out. Right. Like, no, but nobody's yeah, doing yeah, this. I agree. Right. But so it, I've, it, I've it's picked just a path. A little, it's just gets a little muddier when you're trying to deal with a federal state as opposed to the federal government, not in the state form. It can be confusing for to me the lay person. That's for sure. Um, totally. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, uh, it's talking shop for me. So to me, it seems very clear, but, um, and, and making it through the judicial review to have the case approved was to me quite a, um, quite a hurdle. 
making sure that because as far as I know, no one's ever done this. I, I, I don't think anyone's ever done this. And um, uh, and if they have and lost it, it's not anything I've been able to find through case text or anywhere else. So let's let's go over to we're going to bring this to, to an end here soon, guys. And, and uh, um, we told our listeners that when we had new information about this, the suit that we the, the, um, the, the case, we would bring it. And Corey, you got you received a communication from the lovely DMV. Want to tell us about this? On the screen <laughs> we here. did. It said, well, it, it's on the screen. It says you have yet to submit a request for certified copies of the administrative record and transcript for submission to the court in the above reference matter. Um, this is to me indicative of like, I, I don't know what the administrative record has to do with my case. Like it, it just has nothing to do with it other than to me, this shows the DMV has no clue what they're dealing with right now, that they just don't understand it. And, um, the, the, uh, the letter to me is just them trying to say, Hey, normally when there's something you're, you know, you're questioning an administrative hearing and looking at the bottom DS is driver safety hearing. So maybe they're trying to figure out how you didn't appeal the hearing, but there never was a hearing The part of my lawsuit is to force the DMV to have a fair and transparent process for people to leave uh, the DMV program. Now, not everybody, my contention is not everybody can leave the DMV program, that the only people who can leave the DMV program are citizens under 241A. Those are the only people that can leave the program. And everybody else, once you have a license, you have to have one. I don't think the DMV can make anyone get a license. Uh, but once you have one, I don't see anybody other than a state citizen being able to leave and have the record reflect that the rights waived in obtaining the license, which are significant, that those rights have been restored. Um, this letter goes on to explain uh, that, you know, for, you need to put a $115 deposit down. It's going to be $10 per or 10 cents per page, clerical fee per quarter hour, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it's a riot. Uh, they also have your uh, the, the the birth records driver's license number there. <laughs> the, the, the DL they number, yeah. destroyed. They said they destroyed, but they actually obviously didn't because now they're still referring to that DL number in this communication. Deal. Right. They have given, and they used it against me. They used it as part of the prosecution in L.A. where um, which we went know, over they just assigned me an attorney and we've covered that a whole yeah, last episode. We covered that. Yep. So, I mean, to me, this is just more evidence against them that they continue to re recognize you, you know, uh, fraudulently. Um, so, but, but they did respond. So they're there. You're you've, you've poked the bear. They've got the, uh, the, uh, what do they call this? The associate governmental program an analyst, Michelle Roach is the, uh, one who sent this to you. Um, well, and it was, uh, you see, it says four, there's a signature there and then it says four. So somebody else actually wrote and signed that. Oh, um, I see that now. Four, it Michelle. might be worth it. I think what we should do, Todd, maybe I should on a recorded line, call that phone number and just have a conversation with them and we can see what, what they say. Oh, it'd be great. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Be good content for the show, Corey. Uh, I'll do that next week. <laughs> and, uh, Tim sent me a note saying, uh, go back to the Clarence Thomas thing on page 84. I'm going to jump there, Tim. What's, what's a keyword on that page? 
Oh, give me a second. All right, no, I can get the, the long way here. Hold on, I'll get there one second. 84. We're getting there. Okay, there it is right there. Which section do you want me to focus on here? Here we go. Two questions still remain, both provoked by the textual similarity between what is that? One's privileges or immunities clause in Article 4, Section 2. Oh, Section 1's privileges or immunities clause in Article 4, Section 2. The first involves the nature of the rights at stake. Are the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States recognized by Section 1 the same as the privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states which Article 4, Section 2 refers? The second involves... Yeah, they're referring to Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. Okay. The and second involves... Immunities... Yeah, the second involves the restriction imposed on the states... Does Section 1 of Article of 14th Amendment, like Article 4, Section 2, prohibit only discrimination with respect to certain rights if the state chooses to recognize them, or does it require states to recognize those rights? So this is a... There's a huge question as to whether or not the Privileges and Immunities Clause is something that would be recognized under the 14th Amendment, which is what's used in this case. Mm -hmm. I'm using the well-established... Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1. There's no question about that as far as my interpretation of the law. The courts are very clear that that is, is something that is uh, a decision from the courts on comity has been consistent. It's not like under the 14th Amendment where, hey, we should do it this way. We're not really sure. It's a strange status, all of that. So my case is intentionally... I'm not a 14th Amendment citizen. Um, the government is operating via the 14th Amendment and its constitution. So when I say government, I'm referring to the DMV. It's operating under the 1879 constitution, and it has that authority to operate via the 14th Amendment. But I don't have to be like when one way to look at the 14th Amendment, at least one way I look at it, is the 14th Amendment had no impact on citizens of the several states. It, it didn't even apply to them. And the case of uh, what, what was the female case here in California? She was from Iowa. Brown. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was von Valkenberg V Brown. That was it. And it goes through and explains that that's one of the cases where it said the 13th amendment just didn't work. Um, and that the 14th Amendment is not applied for you, but you say you're one of those citizens, so okay, you are, right? That that was that's what what it was, and then she lost the case. But the court went to a lot of effort to say, hey, this 14th Amendment thing is really not for you. It's not meant for you. You don't need any of that. You didn't even need the 13th Amendment, and. That has been the guidance from the court early on, and in my opinion, hasn't really changed. The people have all adopted 14th Amendment citizenship, and so now the courts are trying to deal with that to preserve, in Thomas's position, this is my commentary on it, trying to preserve the ideals of freedom through the 14th Amendment. And that's because anytime you talk to an attorney, they will always go, I want my 14th Amendment rights. Well, there's a huge question as to what those rights are. So um, my case is like, well, gosh, I'm just going to follow what the court says, the court's direction. And I am a citizen under 241A. My rights are directly in the Constitution, not through the 14th Amendment. And that is consistent with 
every court decision that that I've read on this subject. Tim, I think you're trying to point out that Clarence Thomas is stating in here, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, that that United States citizens, which is what we're claiming we're not, but when we're trying to be 421 citizens, that the, the Section 1 protects the rights of citizens of the United States specifically, meaning that you, sh you should have your rights protected even if you are a federal citizen, right? So, so, which I'm, I agree I'm, with. I'm going to state it differently. If you are a citizen of a state, you automatically the constitution before even the civil war you are a citizen of the united states okay real quick what is your definition of the term united states you're a citizen of the federal government or the nation they and thomas even refers to it as dual citizenship right so, no I, I agree that that exists but it did not automatically apply. So are you saying a citizen you of mean the it United did not States automatically apply? I disagree with you on that. Well, von Valkenburg v. Brown is a Supreme Court case that is still valid, a California Supreme Court case oh, that has so, not been overturned. And now, the difference is van Valkenburg tried to claim voting rights, okay? And she tried to use right. the 14th Amendment to say so. And the court then described... You are a citizen of a state. You acquired it. You acquired United States citizenship through the fact of being a citizen of a state. You were no, not. That's not what it says. It says she states she's a U.S. citizen, so therefore she is. It didn't say that she acquired it through the Fourteenth Amendment, and it even no, says that say it that. does not I apply. Did not say that. I did not say oh, okay. that. They are saying you did not need. You do not need the Fourteenth Amendment to claim certain rights. You already had those. Those right. only exactly. provided and endowed those rights on those that were being um, enslaved. So, so Tim, I, I, I'm kind of confused, and you didn't answer the question. When you said That's a state question. citizen is a citizen of the United States, what is your definition of the term United States when you say that? Because there's three potential definitions for the term United States. Which one are you using? The definition that existed that says who can be a senator, who can be president, and so forth in the Constitution that uses the terms citizen of the United States or United States citizen. And okay, that so at that point, there was no such thing as a federal citizen. So the only application that that could use would be either a citizen of the United States, which excludes the federal government, and meaning the several states, that would be correct, or a citizen of the nation, which would include everything, the federal government, the territories, all the states, everything. And that definition would be correct. The definition that would be incorrect would be a citizen of the federal government when you say that. And that, that's what I'm trying to understand and, because and it, it's super important to differentiate I'm not, these yeah, definitions. I'm not, citizen, I'm not claiming to be a citizen of the federal government. Okay. But you're claiming to be a citizen of the United States under the 14th Amendment, right? I'm sorry. Thomas says the four, if you're a citizen per the 14th Amendment, that means that you are now the states can't allow that you're forced. The states are forced to say, I reside here. I'm a citizen of the several states. And yeah. as such, I'm a citizen of the okay. United States as those prior to the Civil War were. And Thomas and is saying it is not okay, a then, federal 
It is not a federal citizenship. He doesn't use those terms. Okay. So this is key because, but, but it, it, it so is super important this is, is, is yeah. that we've, as we've talked many times before, the 14th amendment precluded the several states from violating the former slaves rights. It was, it was the correction, corrective measure to fix the 13th amendment, if you will. Correct. Yeah. And, but it doesn't preclude the federal government from violating your rights. Those rights, those, those, those rights. Exactly. And that's the nuance. And so, Tim, this is right. why we assert what we assert. And that is when you we walk into the DMV, which has a federal tax ID, it is a subsidiary of the federal government. And you say, I'm a United States citizen. That's the first. I mean, I I've recorded my when I got my recent slave card and recorded it audio. And, you know, are you United, the first thing they say, are United States citizens? They, they won't move forward if you don't say that, if you don't affirm that. And then I said, well, what rights am I waiving? And they said, what rights? So, <laughs> right. I mean. This is why this is the nexus we're at in our view that, OK, the, the, it's, as long as that we go back to the Mel K thing. When did we consent to all these things? Well, when you walked in and got your slave card, that's when you consented. And Corey's trying to extract himself from that slave card and trying to do it, you know, obviously peacefully and through the, through the courts. So. um, I think there's some some nuances there. Well, the the real important thing, which is the definition of the term United States. And I think we're, we're hitting on something here, Tim, that I, I really want to press this to, cause it's, it is critically important. And I hear all the time um, people referring to the same thing that the term United States is just sort of a catch-all. And that's where the government gets a huge advantage. If in the constitution we're referring to, um, so right here, if you go back to von Valkenberg, I think that's a, a good thing. Um, it, it says status of citizenship not conferred by recent amendments to the federal constitution, right? So it created a new form of, of citizenship. And then it goes to say, well, of course, the, the racial component of it, but it says no white person born within the limits of the United States. At that point, what they were talking about is um, uh, the states united, right? Because it says, and subject to their jurisdiction. So no person born in any one of the several states or born without those limits and subsequently naturalized under their laws. California used to have its own naturalization process. Uh, Texas did as well. In 1879, that process stopped and there is no one in office who has the authority to naturalize a foreign resident who is in California to become a state citizen. That mechanism just doesn't exist. It did when this case was decided. Um, and then it talks about the purpose of the 14th Amendment. So when we look at the, the distinction, when someone says that they are a citizen of the United States, it is so critical to understand which definition is being used. There, there's three of them. Two of them apply to state citizens. One of them does not. And without being very clear on that, 100% of the time, every time I ever deal with a state issue, it is always the definition that you don't want, which is federal citizenship. Okay. And well, so we I'd encourage you, Tim, if there's a, a, a case, because I know you're active, 
if there's a case that you know could highlight this and get it filed in court take the shot i'm i i think you know this subject matter is so critically important and if if one of us is incorrect but we're hitting it from both sides man that that is a, a way to move things forward like you know put together a complaint and get it filed and uh uh and change the behavior of government through the courts because if 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 the way you've described citizenship is correct it is far easier and far less complicated than what i'm doing in other words if you're a state citizen and by by that you are also a citizen of the plural united states and not the singular federal united states citizen then you have standing and etc and you can establish and protect your rights that is my position correct yes excellent an hour and 45 minutes later we came to some minor accord <laughs> <laughs> and i appreciate you coming on the show today tim and we're gonna wrap this up while the sun is still shining get outside a little bit get out behind these computers before we leave, we, we have to uh, go to the subscribe and support page at Agenda 31 and remind people uh, to, you know, the value for value proposition out there. We, we really look forward to um, getting Corey. This is going to be a, a long battle and it's going to require some resources and help keep Corey focused and uh, myself focused, too, on, on helping create these podcasts and produce the, the content. We're looking for support and using the the, the, the numbers, the 421 numbers and the 31 numbers, it happens to turn out that with 421 watchers contributing $31 a month, we'll achieve our, our financial goal. Or 42 producers at $310 a month, we can achieve our financial goal. Or four enforcers at $3,100 a month, we will achieve our financial goal or a mix thereof. And you can go to that page, uh, subscribe and support and see what kind of uh, swag and different things you'll get per level. And of course, it'll include access to the documentation that Corey generates and behind the scenes information so that we hope we can teach you how to fish too and become uh, a ver Article 462 Clause 1 state citizenship where you live so that we may make a difference. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for today's uh, discussion. Uh, any parting remarks or comments, Tim? Enjoy your day. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. Corey, we'll catch you uh, soon, and we will uh, usually have some kind of fun music at the end of this, but I wasn't that prepared yet, so I'm still getting the flow, all right? I absolutely love the uh, four-minute and 21-second outro. I, I I can listen to that yeah, three times I'll, a day. I'm gonna, I'll so. put that, well, actually, I think I can just do that right now, Corey, in the magic of the, uh, let's see here, we can just play that so I don't have to bump it in afterwards. And we will be uh, talking to everybody on the next one here. Here we go. It's Saturday, so this will be a a slightly edited version of the song where it's four minutes and 20 seconds for me personally. I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for calling the California Department of Public Health Vital Records. Your call may be monitored for quality assurance purposes. We'll do a thing called freedom. Did you gonna press the flesh, Pappy? Have a little 
Pilot ticket? No pressure, kiss you. You bit of some bitch. You don't tell your pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. <laughs> Warning, you're listening to the Agenda 31 podcast with Corey Ibe and Todd McGreevy. Agenda 31 exposes government fraud, theft, and deception. Agenda 31 endorses peaceful enforcement of the Bill of Rights by the people of the several states. Agenda 31 explains how United States citizens have forsaken their capacity to protect their own rights. Corey and Todd engage with local, state, and federal government on powerful issues of identity, property rights, law, oaths of office, taxation, privacy, and more. Their approach is rooted in the very specific legal foundation of state citizenship. Listeners of the Agenda 31 podcast are challenged to take the lowest risks with the highest rewards. Your hosts want to know, what's your strategy to make a difference? Due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the hosts of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Enjoy. You are going to change America in a way that usually only war and fluoride can. War and fluoride can. War and fluoride can. It's time for us to become private central banking heretics to stop believing that this is the way life is supposed to be because it isn't the courts said that there are clearly two governments in each state we have a state government and a federal government the state government that we see today is um, a franchise of the federal government as I mentioned before by voluntary consent of the people but that doesn't mean the original state government doesn't exist. Self-determination isn't for everybody. Well, that's exactly the whole point. The 14th Amendment protects U.S. citizens from the several states, but provides no protection from the federal government. U.S. citizens have several different qualities. One, under Title V, they're considered federal personnel. You can trace back the foundation of their identity to a document the government owns. Wake up! A state-issued birth record is government property. You know what? There's going to be 50 different ways to skin this cat. Today, we don't know. We're like a hotel that checks you in but never checks you out. That's not courage. That's a mafia-style sit-down and divvy up what's good for the bosses. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. How does it feel to be a Republican right now? It's a hoax. It's a big hoax. It's a little bit overreaching to think there's going to be 3,100 people trying to pay attention like we do. Why don't we devalue social security numbers? Why not require financial institutions not to use social security numbers so that there's no longer the incentive to steal social security numbers? The social security number is absolutely critical. We need them and we have to use them. But we have to treat them as an identifier. Yes, we'll make slaves out of all of you. Very much part of Agenda 21, in my humble opinion. It's a ramp up to a uh, United Nations September convention that's coming. It's going to be Agenda 21 on steroids. Yeah, California is crazy. It is. I mean, it's out of control. The U.S. sitting senator is suggesting using RICO laws to be applied to global warming skeptics. We're not policing the world. We're not policing the world. We're not policing the world. No, we don't have a military-industrial complex. Only a state citizen can travel around without license plates, without registration, and without a driver's license, and not intend to break the law. Because you can't have prosperity 
if you're constantly under the risk of a terrorist attack. Who the government? Who the terrorists?